0: This is Road Tripping in America, a podcast about life on the road. I'm Lisa.
1: And this is Paul.
0: We're exploring the U.S. in a pickup truck with a camper. We named our setup The Bobs. If you daydream about long-term travel or overlanding or van life, or maybe you're already on your own adventure, join us for some entertainment from the road. We are in search of off-the-beaten-path adventures and new experiences after a a year-and-a-half of standing still. Today, after five months on the road, we share a budget update, answer some of our unanswered questions from previous episodes, and find out what each other's ests were. The bests, worsts, scariests. This is Series 2, Episode 10, wrapping up this round. This episode was recorded in Wisconsin. First up, our budget and spending update.
1: So we ended July at 3800 We ended August at 3500 And that was the last time we checked in on the budget. We're two months late. Well, we're three months later, but two months are finished. In September, we were at 3700 and in October, we were at 2800 So, again, we're kind of in the range that we thought in October was like a phenomenally good month. So we've been targeting the $3,500 a month number as kind of the middle point of where we might be. Uh, we know we'll sometimes be above it, and we'll sometimes hopefully be below it. And we finally were well below it in October. October was an amazing month where we spent a lot of time in Utah in remote spots away from restaurants and bars. And that really helped our our budget number. Not that we're going to bars. Yeah, not that we've gone to any bars because of COVID. So COVID helps our budget numbers. (laughs) Well, so September, so let's go back. Let's and you can edit out whatever. September was our birthday month, and we went pretty hard to celebrate. It felt like we didn't really hold back. We did all sorts of fun stuff. We did two plane trips that kind of don't fit into the road life (laughs) narrative, but we flew to Chicago, we flew to LA, and we spent some time in Las Vegas. And we ended up eating out a lot, having a lot of fun. And we're still under our July number. I mean, it was crazy. so so that was really fun to see how that shook out. In October, there were no jet setting adventures, and we spent a ton of time in the backwoods of Utah. and I think we exceeded our expectations on how much we can uh, save. twenty eight hundred is is really low. under three thousand seemed kind of like, theoretically possible but not actually possible what's really interesting is when you kind of look out at what matters and what doesn't matter at the end of august we looked back and we thought we're spending more on our cell phone than we thought but that doesn't actually matter if we really were efficient and we saved a lot of money on our cell phone plan we might be 80 dollars ahead at the end of the month but that's it where we save a lot of money is if we drive a little slower. We'd travel a little less distance. We eat out a little less. Like each time we fill up our gas tank or each time we go out to dinner, you know, that's 40 to $50 or more per thing. So it's great to save $80 over the course of an entire month, but in, a, in a, any given day, we can blow past that, <laughs> you know, with a couple of meals and a full tank of gas. So food and driving are turning out to be our big things. When we cover a lot of ground and we and we move really quickly, we use a lot of gas. When we're in Utah and we're going down a dirt road and it's tough to go 15 miles an hour, you don't really wanna drive for five <laughs> hours that day because your, your fillings are gonna fall out. So we save a lot of money on gas in October because we were going much slower. We were also eating out much less. And instead of buying lunch, buying dinner at a restaurant, going to a grocery store, stocking up, or a couple of times we went close to a week without really kind of touching civilization. And that felt really good. We had a whole bunch of meals packed into the camper. We knew we could make Indian food and pasta and ramen and all sorts of good stuff that we like and that we wouldn't see any restaurants. But, but overall those are our big things food and driving the other thing that's interesting is when you look at just the sheer number of transactions in a month when we're up at 38 or thirty-seven hundred dollars per month we're around 100 transactions in that month so three a day when we are at our low in october we were only at 64 so two a day so like if you're looking for something easy to track trying to keep this whole budget number in your mind and say well maybe i can get 10 percent off on this thing or maybe a free two-for-one deal over here the thing that saves you money is not spending your money and if you're spending it at a lower rate and you're doing fewer transactions in a day you're saving a lot of money that is a different way of thinking about it than i've ever kind of approached it but saying what is our thing going to be tomorrow what is our thing going to be the next day like what is the special thing that we want to spend money on instead of just kind of going into a day in like that vacation mindset where it's, let's go get coffee, let's go get breakfast, let's get lunch, let's get dinner, let's go for drinks, let's do whatever. You know, when you're deliberate about, like, if you say I want one transaction tomorrow that is a meaningful, fun transaction, that's a different way to approach it versus the alternative. And we've been kind of applying that in November. Things that save you money promote that lower transaction per day outcome so when you're staying at a free campsite you know you're not getting your credit card out to pay for it when you're going to the grocery store and you're buying a week's worth of food you know that's one transaction for 15 to 20 meals right so all these kind of like good habits the things that get you to fewer transactions save you a ton of money Let's talk about the averages over the four months. So overall for the four months, we had a high of $3,800 and a low of $2,800. So a $1,000 swing. And if you average it out, it ends up being 3450 per month, which is pretty much spot on with what our estimate was going to be. That puts us at right around $40,000 per year, which feels like kind of a sustainable, reasonable amount for long-term road life without feeling like we're depriving ourselves of anything, but also without feeling like we're, you know, running a little bit too hot where it's unsustainable. So it's fun to see the plan kind of come together over the course of those last four months. I guess the only other thing is that of the 130 something days of those four months, 67 of them were at free campsites. So we were actually at, at like 51% of our days We're doing the thing that we, we planned to do, which was go find free remote campsites in the middle of nowhere and spend the night there. You may Maybe you would have thought it'd be higher, but it, it wasn't. We ended up staying with friends a lot. We ended up paying for pretty cheap campsites every so often, but over 50%, I think that's pretty good and then also like the points right so we like however many points nights we burned through a lot of those friends nights but i had 28 other days of camping so well not quite a hundred days of camping in 133 days two-thirds of them are free some of them were like five dollars it's like what's a banana cost these days anyway (laughs)
0: Elsewhere in numbers, in the past 5 months, we drove around 10,000 miles, which is a little less than we thought we'd do. We hiked over 200 miles in the same time period, and that's trail miles only, not including city miles like the 26.2 we walked around Durango, where we tried to walk down every single street. Elevation gain-wise, our trail miles were just short of Everest's 29,000 feet. If I had realized how close we were, we absolutely would have squeezed in another 2,000 feet. That's a goal for the next five months. We also mountain biked over 125 miles, mostly on fairly flat trails. Looking back at the trail data, I can see that my favorite mountain bike trails were also the most gradual ones, and my least favorite were the steepest ones, so there's definitely a pattern there. Now, I know everyone loves to hear about money and numbers, but do you also like to hear about the mistakes I've made in the past? At least the ones that I've realized? Let's talk about some follow ups from our previous episodes now. In episode two of series one, I talked about my tips for quick showers. They generally run for three to five minutes for a few bucks ago. That time goes fast, especially when the water starts out ice cold. (laughs) Through a lot of trial and error, we figured out how to optimize the shortest showers. Here's how to shower in three minutes flat. I later found out that this made our friend Melanie very concerned that we weren't ever getting clean enough. On a Zoom, I assured Melanie that we weren't finding too many of those three or five minute showers anymore. The showers seemed to be mostly unlimited, or long enough to not worry about strict 180-second countdowns. Relief washed over Melanie's face, and I should have stopped there, but I continued. We're not finding too many showers, though, I added. Sometimes we're going five or seven days in between. I watched as the horror washed back over Melanie's face, possibly greater than before, and I realized that I should have cut my mouth shut about that. And now you all know. In episode 3 of series 1, we roughly hashed out our plan for our first six to 6-9 months of road life, and I echoed what everyone assumed was true at the time, that since we and many people had been vaccinated, COVID was going to fade into the background and we wouldn't need to worry about it anymore. Well, that didn't age well, and fast. We wait too soon, Lisa. In episode 6 of series 2, we talked about how we were needing to adjust our plans on the go. Oregon, most of Idaho, most of California, these places all had to be cut from the route. Over the past five months, we traveled much slower and within a tighter circle than originally expected. We replanned multiple times, though in fairness to COVID, the majority of the replanning was due to it being either on fire or too smoky, too hot or too cold where we wanted to be at that time. Due to COVID, we are taking a more cautious approach to international travel. So that means a few months in Mexico this winter is probably out. But we are so eager to start traveling internationally again, I'm really worried about a future travel ban stranding us somewhere. Paul's not worried about that at all, though. What I said in this episode, we have no idea what we're going to do in the winter and spring if this trend continues, is still true today. Going forward, we're only roughly planning maybe two months ahead at a time, and we're also thinking hard about a home base to have somewhere to retreat if needed. In episode 3 of series 2, I talked about our visit to Chaco Culture National Historical Park and the reflection and awe that this special place inspires. So we were really excited to hear on November 15th that the Biden administration is enacting new protections for Chaco, That would prevent new oil and gas drilling on federal lands within 10 miles of Chaco for 20 years. In case you haven't noticed from my land use rants in earlier episodes, I'm obviously very much on the side of land protection, though I will also be the first to acknowledge that things are complicated. I just appreciate when our policies take a cautious approach to things that can't be replaced once they're gone. Also in that same episode, we talked about some of our camper and gear tweaks. Physical stuff-wise, we also offloaded a bunch of things at the Fort Collins storage unit that we didn't end up using for the first month. I way overpacked cold weather gear, so we dropped off a wool blanket, chunky wool sweater, my nicer sneakers. Well, we for sure got rid of our cold weather stuff too hastily. I can't even tell you how many times I missed that chunky gray sweater that I was laughing about dumping in our storage closet in the summer. I'm so happy to have it back now, after our pre-Thanksgiving storage closet stock-up. In fact, I'm wearing it right now. As far as camper and gear tweaks go, we overall were really happy with the camper in our gear, cold-weather gear short-sightedness aside. But one part of the camper that we hardly ever used was the awning. The bobs themselves often provide more shade than the awning, and the awning can't be used if there's more than a breath of wind. So I think we used the awning three or four times, mostly because we felt like we ought to use it since we had it, and that's definitely not enough to justify it. And gear-wise, we definitely need camp chairs with higher backs. Absolutely no seating option we have, other than the car seats, as any kind of real back or head support. As a 20 or 30 year old, that would be fine. As a 40 year old, I feel it more. And Paul needs a nap-worthy chair. The number of times I saw him pass out after a hike, neck bent at a horrible angle, (laughs) we can't do that anymore. We also planned to get some warmer backpacking sleeping bags, since we were scared away from overnight trips by temperatures that were below our current sleeping bag's comfortable ranges. Now, I know I'm a wimp, but there's nothing that makes me hate sleeping on the ground more than being cold, and waking up in the middle of the night so cold that I ponder my own mortality even more than on a usual night. Warmer sleeping bags are the one missing piece we need to make use of our backpacking gear and hike longer trails in a more pleasant way. Episode 4 of Series 2 was our Colorado mountain biking special. Towards the end, Paul mentioned the other trails we hadn't yet had a chance to bike that were on our shortlist.
1: The other spot is outside of Cortez. There's an area called Phil's World, which has supposedly really cool single track. I've wanted to ride there for years, but we've just never quite uh, hit it right.
0: In November, we finally got a chance to bike the Phil's World trail system near Cortez, Colorado. And, whoa. A few hours after biking multiple trails, including one so difficult, I grumpily walked my bike for a good part of it. We were looking at land for sale outside Cortez. These trails easily stole the first place slot from Turkey Creek, I mean, Springs. (laughs) Also in that same episode, I mentioned at the beginning that my microphone had developed a buzzing noise that I couldn't figure out. I kept having the same problem off and on, until one day I finally realized what was causing it. The microphone only buzzed when I was recording when my laptop was plugged in and charging off our lithium battery. The buzzing sound was my microphone picking up the sound of the inverter as it converted solar power to the lithium battery into the AC power my laptop charger needs. So, problem solved. I just don't record while I'm charging anything. Luckily, I figured that out before buying another microphone. Episode 5 of Series 2 brought you that lovely poem called The Cataract of Lador, the poem that the Gates of Lador at Dinosaur National Monument was named after. I asked what I thought was a rhetorical question on whether anyone could think of another water word in English that the poet hadn't used, since it seemed like the whole flood of them went into the poem. See what I mean? Every single possible word. Can you think of a word he missed? I'd love to hear it. Well, after the episode was published, my editor, Paul, said, of course you realize that he didn't use the word wet. (laughs) He didn't, and I didn't. Our friends Melanie and Liz also brought up a whole slew of words that could relate, like bungling, slopping, sucking. Maybe we should create a modern final verse for this poem. In that same episode, we talked about our highs and lows for the month of August. I decided to stop doing this after August because I stopped having lows. (laughs) Haha. Actually, starting in September, I realized that my low would be the same for the next six months or so and it would be very boring to hear about every month. My low is being cold, just like it is every winter. That'll be the same until it's summer again. I really despise being cold. It's a serious impediment to living outdoors that I'm not sure how to fix. I'm the kind of person who wears winter hats inside, who has inside jackets. Back at one of my first jobs, where it was always bone-chillingly cold inside year-round, One of my coworkers told me that I just needed to put some more meat on my bones, and then I'd be warmer. Well, Connie, almost 20 pounds later, I'm not there yet. Now what? But as far as lows go, I haven't had to poop in a tent again like I did in July, thanks to the unbelievable number of mosquitoes on Grand Mesa. And I never resolved my low from August, which was finding out that we weren't actually qualified to vote using our mailing service, two months after getting everything all set up. I'm passionate about voting. Ever since I turned 18 before the 2000 presidential election, I voted in every single election. Primaries, local, national, ballot initiatives, whatever. Voting is the best way I can have my say about the direction of our country. Setting aside physical restrictions, I've never understood why all people who are qualified don't vote. Why would you not vote? It's the coolest thing that I did not do this November. And it kills me. It's one of the main reasons I want to be sure we have a qualified physical address in November 2022. In episode 6 of series 2, I asked Google what I should do to feel like I could stand up to the fearsome free-range cows we were encountering in the wild. I don't like cows, and I'm scared of them too. <laughs> the way they stare at you with their big, dumb, vacant eyes. How their moods are sometimes so loud and hoarse it sounds like someone screaming in the woods how they casually amble their 1,000-pound bodies at you, just curious, that's all. But in Utah, I had to admit that there is one thing about free-range cows that I actually appreciate. We were hiking along a stream on active rangeland, land, and the stream bed was extremely wet and muddy, unwalkably so. But cows had worn down a herd path along the stream, up and down the banks through the scrubby vegetation, always finding the easiest path through. If that cow path wasn't there to follow, we wouldn't have made it down the stream, through a gorgeous canyon to the Priya River, one of my favorite hikes of our time in canyon country. It would have been too much of a struggle. So, cows, I'm sorry. Sometimes you are helpful. We also haven't figured out how to close the camper in a windstorm yet, and so haven't answered our question from that first uncomfortable stormy night in Wyoming. The whole ordeal lasted maybe an hour, but we learned that we couldn't close the camper top in a windstorm using the regular methods. We needed to do some research. Was it possible to close the top in those conditions, or was it better to just ride it out? We haven't faced near that level of wind in Bob the Camper again, because we have gotten much better at looking at the detailed forecasts and staying in hotels when it's going to be nasty, and I like that approach much better. Finally, in episode 8 of series 2, I made an error that neither my fact-checker, also Paul, nor I caught until after it was published. I said, We could only barely make out the nearest mountain ranges, the Panamints to the west and the funerals to the east. Actually, Telescope Peak is in the Panamint range. The first range to the west is the Argus range, not the Panamints. Sorry about that. Okay, let's take a quick break and hear an ad you've probably heard a few times already before we get to our worsts and bests and scariests. Are you ready for a new book? I have a suggestion for you. The White Heart of Mojave Annotated by Lisa McNamara, that's me, and Edna Brush Perkins is now available on Amazon as an ebook or a paperback. Get the Kindle version for less than the cost of a gallon of gas or the paperback version, with full-color photographs and better portability for your next overland adventure. Search for The White Heart of Mojave Annotated. The annotated is the really important bit, on Amazon today. Welcome back! For the final part of our Road Life Phase 1 wrap-up, we thought about some of our ests—the <laughs> bests, worsts, scariest, and more—that didn't make it into earlier episodes. The sketchiest road for me by far was the Moki Dugway, which was recommended to us by a German-speaking guy from LA with glorious hair that we met at the showers at Hite Outpost in Utah. It felt like he was talking to us before we arrived, and he was probably still talking to us after we left. I don't think he had seen anyone for a while either. This guy could not stop raving about the Moki Dugway which hadn't been on our radar, but which we figured we'd go check out after his enthusiastic recommendation. Moki is a local term for the ancestral Puebloans who lived in the area hundreds of years ago. Dugway is a roadway carved from a hillside. The Moki Dugway drops 1,200 feet from Natural Bridges National Monument to Mexican Hat, Utah, over three miles. It's paved on both ends, but the dugway portion is mostly unpaved. I guess because it's easier to fix when it washes out. (laughs) I was driving, and in the first stretch, we bounced around so much on such a sharp cliff edge that for the first time ever, I got car sick while driving. I had to pull over and wait until my urge to puke passed. I would not ever drive on this road again. The views are amazing, though. Our scariest trail was the Red Breaks Trail in Grand Staircase-Escalante National Monument. We approached this area from the north end, where there isn't a formal trail, and we had to scramble up and down two sandstone cliffs by figuring out the easiest, least treacherous path. Between the scrambly canyons, there were many winding herd paths through the hillsides where we had to pick the right route, and avoid stepping on the amazing crest. Actually, this was a lot of fun, too. It's always fun to overcome something that feels really challenging. I was just extra aware that there was no one around for miles if either of us was to twist an ankle or encounter a rattlesnake. Paul's favorite camp food discovery was the Idahoan instant-flavored mashed potato blends. I'm sure these aren't new to others, but they were new to us, and they became a staple for some of our best camp meals. Our favorites are the sour cream and chives, loaded mashed potatoes, and Vermont white cheddar. The best oases in Canyon Country were the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, when we were looking for cool temperatures in September, and Bullfrog, Utah, when we needed warmth and water of all kinds in November, and Mexican Hat, Utah, when we needed good beers after driving down the Moki Dugway. The biggest surprise for me? This is something that I've been thinking about for a while, trying to put my finger on what bothered me so much. My biggest surprise was how out of place I felt in areas that we later figured out were the pockets of monoculture we found in sometimes unexpected places. Monoculture being that sense that everything and everyone in a place is single mindedly about one very specific thing, with a complete lack of diversity or variation from that thing. Spots like Moab and Ure, with the Jeep Wrangler and OHV culture, The campgrounds near Silverton and in Nevada where everyone had OHVs and we were the only ones with mountain bikes and everyone gave us the side eye for it, that sort of thing. Probably the worst one for me was the Wind River Range in Wyoming. Expecting to like Lander Wyoming so much and expecting to feel like we were going to fit in seamlessly there probably ruined it for me. We spent our hands down worst night camping at the Lander City campground which is a free campground in a park downtown. It's a fantastic gesture by the town, but it's uncontrolled in a way that feels very unsettling. It was way too full for the size of the bathroom. There was a loud group who kept the party going way too late. People parked way too close on both sides of us. I could not wait to get out of there. Here we were, all of us vehicle-dwelling dirt bags, but we didn't feel like we fit in. My impression about the area carried over to the trailheads and trail camps along the Wind River Range. This is where we had that intense windstorm I told you about in an earlier episode, where we had a full night of soaking rain, hail, and snow. Oh, maybe it was just a short little hail burst. So. Where the cows woke us up by nudging the bobs and screaming in the woods another morning. The strangest places of all in the winds were the trailhead parking lots where the longer hikes originate. The mood there was part party time, part anxiety turned up to 100. Everyone had all their gear and food splayed out on the bare ground or on a tarp or the car hood. Parked cars squeezed onto the shoulders of the road, rather than parking in the luxurious overflow lot a quarter mile away from the trailhead. Questions like, Did you bring the avocados? And... Should we bring the sunscreen? Rang out. Rumors of bear encounters from returning hikers rippled through the outbound groups. Everyone was digging through their piles of stuff like the squirrel digging holes in the dirt for his pine cones at our campsite, sometimes even more frantically. Everyone had similar stuff, too the brightly colored sacks and jackets, the lightweight, high tech things of the same brand. Everyone audibly counted out their meals, running down a checklist. They showed up at all times of the day and night to do this, from early morning to way past when I think a responsible group of adults should head out on the trail at night in bear country, but I guess there was no other choice for them. The season is really short. Their trip was short. They needed to get out there. The mood at the trailhead campgrounds was similar, festive until it turned serious. Tents ruled, one of the only places left where they still outnumber RVs. All were in bed early. Our neighbors went to bed at 6pm one night, so we knew they were going to get up early, but did not expect it would be 1am. The return celebrations of one group overlapped with the tense preparations of others. Our truck campers stuck out like a sore thumb. We weren't preparing for anything too serious or celebrating anything too momentous. We set up our life to hike nearly every day but here we didn't feel like we were extreme enough hikers but once out on the trail all that human drama just melted away it's a breathtakingly gorgeous area and near the trailhead the big sandy lodge was serving up cheeseburgers and beers a regular oasis in the mountains that we almost didn't believe was real until our delicious meals were placed in front of us There's a coffee place in Pinedale, Wyoming, Pine Coffee Supply, that if you really like coffee, you should probably make a special trip just to visit or order their coffee online. They roast their own beans, and it's so intense and unique and precise that it's like they have invented a whole new beverage. So I go back to the winds in a second. We always chat with people on the trail. Maybe that's what makes the wilderness part feel more welcoming. Next time, instead of being the weird amateur anthropologist observing everyone from the farthest site in the campground, I'll just start chatting everyone up to see if that will make my feelings about the area any different. But the places I tend to like the least are the places where people are the least friendly on the surface, like the steepest mountain bike trails, the ones that require a little bit more effort to understand. But sometimes the extra effort is what makes the experience meaningful. Did we miss talking about anything that you are curious about? Let us know at info at roadtrippinginamerica.com. Thanks for following along on our first five months on the road. Going into the winter months, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, we're going to switch it up a little. Our next series will be a mashup read of an older travel narrative, The White Heart of Mojave by Edna Brush Perkins. It's a gorgeous travel narrative by a native of Cleveland, Ohio, who visited Death Valley in the 1920s, before people came to Death Valley for fun, before a woman casually traveled on their own. We're really excited to share the story with you, peppered with the type of insights that can only come from 100 years of perspective. Until then, check out our website, roadtrippinginamerica.com, for a transcript and photos from this episode and others. If you are enjoying this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review or a rating. That can help others find the podcast. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays.
1: End of ramble? What else do you want to get from me? No, that's not how to say it. (laughs) What else can I help?